back to Lightshed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your convenience. November 27th, the sad reality of 5G in the United States in 2020. It's Black Friday 2020. At the start of the year, many thought the United States would be in the middle of a fierce 5G market share battle by this point in the year. Some even thought that it might deliver a new supercycle for Apple. The COVID pandemic and the thinly built initial 5G networks have altered that outlook. Settle in because we hit lots of topics. We outline what to expect from the ever-lengthening replacement cycle and what that means for Apple. The pandemic. At the start of 2020, we were confident that the six-year lengthening of the smartphone replacement cycle had bottomed. Device upgrade rates had dropped to record lows in 2019, and the 5G iPhone was highly anticipated for a Q3 launch. Operators salivated at the prospect of an opportunity to gain share during an expected surge in phone purchases. Then COVID hit. The COVID pandemic not only delayed the launch of the iPhone into Q4 from Q3, but also reduced churn and device upgrade rates to even lower record lows. Smartphone sales suffered from the reduced traffic and widespread closure of wireless stores, which typically represent 70 to 80% of device sales in the United States. Stores did largely reopen during Q3, but upgrade rates, gross subscriber additions, and device sales still declined. We estimate that iPhones sold were down 15% at Apple in Q3. The three national wireless operators in the United States only saw device sales down 7% thanks to higher sales of non-phone devices, like dongles. Q4 could be the inflection point for the replacement cycle. We expect a slight increase in device upgrade rates in Q4, finally reversing five years of contraction. The installed base simply has phones that are too old and increasingly suffer from reduced performance and shorter battery life. In addition, trade-in promotions of wireless operators have been much more aggressive this year. Finally, the delay in the launch of the iPhone has shifted sales to Q4 from Q3. Our note includes a table that details the change in promotions for the iPhone over the past five years. Q4 is not without its headwinds. The initial reviews of 5G have been tepid due to the thin build-out of initial 5G networks. And the rise in the COVID infection rate has resulted in store closures and new government restrictions, reversing the progress from Q3. We expect device upgrade rates to continue to rise year-over-year in subsequent quarters based on the easy comparables from the COVID-impacted 2020 quarters and ongoing improvements of 5G networks. This assumes some return to normalcy based on the recent announced progress of several vaccines. The increases we expect are not likely to materially impact cash EBITDA. But will 5G induce customers to switch? Upgrades might be on the rise in Q4, but the number of switchers is unlikely to match this trend. In fact, we don't expect churn to rise year-over-year for any operator in Q4. Upgrading subscribers to new phones that have 5G and work on Spectrum to be deployed in the future are a good investment by wireless operators. However, since that Spectrum is not, in fact, fully deployed, it fails to offer adequate market share-shifting differentiation in the near term. T-Mobile's Game to Win the first operator with an opportunity to deliver the type of 5G differentiation that shifts market share is T-Mobile, but it has to execute on its plans to cover 200 million of the U.S. population with 5G built on its 2.5 gigahertz spectrum by the end of 2021. 
It also has to use at least 60 megahertz of spectrum depth in those deployments. Building out beyond the first 100 million pops will be increasingly more challenging as T-Mobile moves out of population-dense areas that have the network density that 2.5 gigahertz spectrum requires. While we are believers in 2.5 gigahertz spectrum and acknowledge the benefits of HPUE technology, T-Mobile will need to densify its network and make incremental spectrum cleanup and purchases to effectively deploy its 2.5 gigahertz spectrum nationwide. Despite these challenges, there's virtually no chance that Verizon could replicate T-Mobile's targeted 2.5 gig coverage with its own millimeter wave spectrum in that time frame. It's just as unlikely that AT&T or Verizon's use of DSS technology can replicate the speeds offered by T-Mobile's deep spectrum deployments if executed properly. Longer term, those companies can use C-band spectrum to catch up. That auction starts next month. But who has faster 5G now? T-Mobile's reliance on a thin band of 600 megahertz spectrum for its broad 5G deployments means that Verizon and AT&T will likely be delivering faster 5G speeds and performance in most locations. T-Mobile is open about the fact that 5G has only been deployed on 2.5 gig spectrum in areas that are home to 40 million people, with a plan to cover 100 million by year-end. It has implied that its 5G marketing efforts will increase as the 2.5 GHz network expands. In the interim, T-Mobile's principal 5G coverage layer is being delivered over a thin slice of 600 MHz spectrum in areas that are home to 270 million people. For context, the U.S. population is 315 million. Why isn't T-Mobile leasing more 600 MHz as a bridge? It's unclear why T-Mobile has not leased more 600 MHz spectrum from third parties to bolster its nationwide 5G speeds. That spectrum takes mere days to deploy, requires little capex, and the impact to network performance is notable, as seen earlier this year when T-Mobile deployed it for free. The incremental cost to lease 600 MHz spectrum from the remaining owners is a rounding error to a company that generates $41 billion in service revenue per year, and it could likely enter into a short-term lease. What about Verizon's big 5G marketing push? As expected, Verizon initiated its 5G marketing push with the launch of a 5G iPhone. Verizon is sticking with millimeter wave spectrum as its primary 5G differentiator, despite the limited coverage that spectrum offers. It brands data traffic that travels over millimeter wave spectrum as ultra-wideband. There is no debate that when ultra-wideband is available, it delivers the best speeds the industry has to offer. Verizon phones will show a UW icon on their phones when using the spectrum, rather than a 5G indicator. The challenge, of course, is that ultra-wideband is available in very limited locations. Its coverage expansion largely relies on small cell deployments, which have been moving at a slow pace. We do not expect that to change materially in 2021. The limited coverage of millimeter wave spectrum might impact the sustainability of using UW as a differentiated marketing strategy for Verizon. We were surprised that Apple even allowed Verizon to profile UW branding at its event. As far as we can tell, Verizon will be the only carrier in the world to use this branding. 5G equals DSS for Verizon. The second part of the marketing push from Verizon following the iPhone launch was flipping the switch on DSS technology across the country. This technology enables Verizon to share existing spectrum between LTE and 5G, To the end user, it results in a 5G indicator on their phone in more locations than the limited coverage that will indicate as UW. 
but it's unclear if the Verizon user will have a better experience with 5G than when an LTE icon appears on their phone. Early reviews have not been positive. DSS, not exactly what we expected. In an April note, we profiled Verizon and Qualcomm's expectation that it would carrier aggregate multiple bands of spectrum with 5G technology enabled by DSS, to quote from that report. We expect Verizon to deploy DSS across multiple blocks of spectrum and then carrier aggregate those blocks to deliver materially faster speeds to the end user. Qualcomm detailed the benefits of DSS plus CA, carrier aggregation, for us on a recent Lightshed Live seminar. We believe this combination will produce a robust 5G coverage layer that Verizon will put marketing dollars behind. We expect it to become their big 5G push. Close quote. That was from our note in April. In reality, Verizon is not yet able to carrier aggregate multiple blocks of spectrum using 5G technology. Instead, it is using just one band of spectrum that utilizes 5G, which it then supplements with additional spectrum bands using LTE technology to supplement the speeds. They call this PDCP, Packet Data Convergence Protocol. Some investors might think that Verizon denied this obstacle at its recent investor day in response to our question to Kyle Maladay. Verizon has subsequently confirmed that our understanding was correct and provided us with the incremental details about using LTE to boost speeds when the 5G icon appears on a Verizon subscriber's phone. Cue the 5GE outrage. It is not our intent to trigger the quote-unquote fake 5G accusations and derision from tech journalists for Verizon that AT&T faced when it used the 5GE brand for increased spectrum use and carrier aggregation. But the reality is that when the 5G logo appears on a Verizon phone, there is likely data traffic flowing over LTE technology, perhaps even the majority of that data. If the net result is faster speeds to the end user when the 5G icon appears, should it matter? But does it? Spectrum is greater than acronyms. We have long argued that mid-band spectrum depth matters far more than 5G technology. Deploying 5G on used spectrum doesn't magically create material new capacity. In fact, the use of DSS to deliver 5G reduces capacity according to numerous engineers that we have interviewed. Verizon is not adding spectrum. DSS reuses the same spectrum it is already using and carrier aggregating for LTE. So how will that deliver faster speeds for the end user, especially if the new CBRS spectrum will be used to further boost LTE performance. We look forward to OpenSignal's next update on 5G performance in the United States. In the meantime, T-Mobile did its own analysis of what happened to Verizon's 5G speeds since DSS was lit up. Our note includes a chart from T-Mobile showing a massive drop-off in download speeds as the mix of DSS comes in from what was previously just ultra-wideband tests. Should wireless operators be increasing TV ad spend in 2020? Verizon increased their TV ad spend by more than 50% in the 30 days following the iPhone event, compared to the same 30-day post-event period last year, according to data from iSpot. Unfortunately, impressions were only up 15%, likely because of the drop in TV viewership. The drop in sports ratings has been particularly brutal. The World Series started the week after the iPhone event this year, but ratings were down 32%. Lightshed's Brandon Ross examined the sports TV plunge in greater detail in a widely read piece last month. Verizon claims that it's shifting more spend to digital, 
but we believe more than 50% of its budget is still dumped into TV, which continues to decline in its effectiveness to grab consumers' attention. T-Mobile increased its spend by 30% in the month after the iPhone event, but its Q4 spend is at parity with last year, and is obviously down quite a bit if we include Sprint spending from last year as well. T-Mobile is likely more aggressive than AT&T and Verizon at shifting ad spend to digital, but we also believe it is holding back until its 2.5 spectrum is deployed more broadly. Our note includes a chart that shows the year-over-year change in ad spend as well as impressions. AT&T picks bigger subsidies over TV spend. AT&T spent less in the month after the iPhone event compared to last year and does not appear to have increased its Q4 budget at all. However, it overshadowed the increased spend of its peers with an 800-device trade-in offer to both new and existing users. That's the type of offer that will resonate over digital quite well. AT&T subsequently lowered its free iPhone trade-in promotion to $700 ahead of the start of pre-orders for the iPhone Mini and Pro Max to, quote, meet the marketplace. The change made the iPhone 12 Mini the free offer versus its prior offer, which featured the iPhone 12 for free with trade-in. The higher effective subsidies also require an unlimited rate plan in order to qualify for their promotional billing credits. That could help accelerate the migration of postpaid phones to unlimited and benefit ARPU for Verizon and AT&T, who still have a significant mix of subscribers on metered plans. Verizon highlights the increased mix of customers on its premium tiers, which has risen to 17%, from 11% at the end of 2019 and 4% at the end of 2018. The bundling of Disney Plus has clearly helped this migration. So what's our Q4 call? We don't think the big 5G push by Verizon and the currently lower speeds being offered by T-Mobile will be enough to topple T-Mobile's industry-leading net edition performance in Q4. In a bizarre way, the challenger has benefited from the slowdown in industry volumes from the COVID pandemic. We expect T-Mobile to lead all carriers with 900,000 postpaid phone net additions in Q4. That would be up from the Proforma net additions it delivered last year. The rise of AT&T over the past year is undeniable, driven by its Spectrum deployment and 5GE branding. In January of 2019, we outline why AT&T's 5GE branding combined with 60 MHz of new Spectrum deployment would be effective. AT&T has subsequently improved postpaid phone net ads year-over-year in every quarter since Q1 of 2019, excluding the impact of the Keep America Connected in Q2 of 2020. We expect that trend to continue in Q4 with 290,000 additions, a nearly 50% increase compared to last year. AT&T might not have increased its ad spend, but its upgrade offer should resonate with existing subs, and its Spectrum deployments are still delivering improvements to subscribers. Low levels of switching activities is a primary benefit to industry leader Verizon. The increased marketing budget should also have a positive impact. That should result in postpaid net additions of 750,000 in Q4, slightly below last year's level. That still trails T-Mobile, who will claim the 5G win loudly. 2021 might be a more challenging year for Verizon, as T-Mobile's 2.5 GHz spectrum deployments expand. No supercycle for Apple. Lower levels of switchers combined with only slight increases in the upgrade rate will not generate a supercycle for Apple as some had hoped. While new device sizes could drive higher volumes in foreign markets, Apple will still need high growth in the United States to deliver on any reasonable definition of a supercycle. Apple investors should not be too upset. 
the inversion in the lengthening of the replacement cycle might finally be here, and iPad, Mac, and AirPod sales should continue to impress this holiday season. In addition, we expect iPhone unit sales to return to growth in Q4 and grow by 10% in 2021. We hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you have a great weekend. And thanks for listening to our podcast.